First Peter chapter five, going through First Peter chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and this morning, God willing, we're going to close it out. First Peter. If you need a Bible, please raise your hands. Anyone need a Bible? If you do, please raise your hands. Get one right here in the middle, a couple others. Verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 5. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you will... Complete the work which you started a few months ago when we started this letter. It's the work of grace. Lord, we we come here this morning to be graced by you. We live in a world of ungrace. We need grace. Gracious Father, Thank you. Your word says you are the God of all comfort, the God of exceedingly abundant grace. Just pray that your grace would have its way in us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So today we close out this powerful, wonderful letter. It's written by the Apostle Peter to a group of Christians who were in an enormous time of suffering. A persecution of Christians had broken out. Followers of Jesus were being arrested, sentenced to death, and executed. Christians losing their businesses, Christians losing their home, Christians fleeing the city that they lived in. The cause? Two-thirds of the city of Rome had burned down. The Emperor Nero needed a scapegoat, so he pointed the finger at the followers of Jesus. Now, according to the Roman historian Tacitus, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, uh, the things that, 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 that Nero did were really unthinkable. You know, we're, we're seeing uh, videos of what uh, ISIS, uh, this group, is doing to Christians. Well, it's nothing new. 
He would, Nero would cover Christians, followers of Jesus, in a cake of wax, and he would use them as human torches. Can you imagine a family member dying that way? You can only imagine the pain, the confusion, the suffering that had overtaken so much of the Christian community. So they reached out to the Apostle Peter. Here's a man who had actually been with Jesus. We need to hear from him. And filled with the Holy Spirit, he writes this letter. The letter's become a, just a priceless treasure trove to Christians in seasons of suffering ever since. We run to it in a season of suffering. We run to it whatever season we're in. It's such a powerful testament of God's grace that speaks to us in whatever place of life we're in. So he closes out the letter, beginning in verse 6. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. In a season of suffering, there is a tendency to call that in or for that to be called into question whether the hand of God is mighty. How can God be mighty? He's not even strong enough to get me out of this grievous trial that I am in. Peter's saying, no, don't go there. There's a glorious purpose in all this suffering. He, Peter explains this throughout the letter. The world will see Jesus Christ at work in your life as you persevere through this uh, suffering. But as you wait on him for the purpose of the suffering to be revealed, humble yourselves, verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and surely he will exalt you in due time, in his time, not your time, his time, you will be exalted. Now, a couple weeks ago, I asked you all to draw a line from verse 6 to verse 10. What does that mean, be exalted? What is exactly does that mean? Does that mean we can do the pole vault better than we did before? What does that mean? Be exalted. Verse 10 actually defines it. It says, And the God of all grace who called us to the, His eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while will perfect, which means in the Greek it's talking about complete, establish, strengthen, and settle you. We live in an unsettled world. In a period of uh, suffering, we can have an unsettled state of mind. He said, after you have suffered a little while, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. After you have suffered a little while, he will perfect, he'll establish, he'll strengthen, and he will settle you. Again, verse 6, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself. Practically, how can I do that? That word humble means not far from the ground. So one way is to physically get on your knees and face or face and you pray to God, you worship the Lord. That's a way of humbling ourselves. We also talked uh, a couple weeks ago about the cross, remembering the cross. If we really, truly, fully reflect on the cross 
and our responsibility for putting Jesus on the cross. That I did it. I put him there. That bloody mess on the cross. I put that blood on his back, on his body. I made the body naked. I made it covered with scars. This is what the Bible teaches. That's a humbling thing. That'll put us to the ground, or put spiritually, that'll, that'll lower us. This is, we understand that, and we humble ourselves before the Lord. But another way we talked about um, a couple weeks ago, practically, of how to humble yourself before the Lord, it says right there in verse 7, it says, casting all your cares are, uh, upon him, casting all your anxiety upon him, casting all your fear upon him. Listen, if you're holding on to your cares to your anxieties, if you're holding on to your, your fears, you are not humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. You're not. If you're here with an un- unsettled mind because you, you, you haven't cast those, those cares, those anxieties around uh, on him, you're, you're not humbling yourself uh, under the mighty hand of God. Uh, uh, sorry, Lord, these, these anxieties, these fears, these worries, they're mine. They're mine. They're not yours. Now, why do we do that? We do that because, man, if I give this fear to God, he may do he may wind up bringing me to the very place that I fear. I really fear being single for another two years. I'm not going to give that to God. He may do that. I really fear this sickness that, I, that, that, that I'm in right now, that the doctors are, uh, you can't figure out what to do about it. If I give that fear to God, he may keep me in the same place for the next uh, two years. And so we, we hold on to uh, fears like that, to anxieties like that. That's what we do. And there's a twisted sort of comfort we get by holding on to our anxiety, our cares, our fear. It's a way of trying to stay in control of our own life. It's, and, and, and I hate to be the messenger here. Don't, don't throw rocks at me. I'm, don't kill the messenger. But that what what you're doing by holding on to your anxiety it, that's that's a form the bible says of rebellion ouch holding on to them it's the very opposite of humbling yourself under the mighty hand of god it's actually a way of resisting god of fighting him of not submitting yourself to him my, my way's better god the twisted kind of comfort uh, in it he, and, no humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And, and, and it says, cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Number one demonstration of that, the cross, the resurrection. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead to give us new life that we need not hold on to them. Verse eight, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Your adversary, the devil. 
That word adversary in the original Greek, antithikos, it means opponent, it means enemy. Peter says, be sober. Now this is not a physical sober. This is a spiritual sober. When a man or woman is physically drunk, they can be completely unaware of danger, even though the danger is right, in, right before their eyes. If a man or woman is drunk behind a wheel, they can be, there can be a telephone pole right in front of them as they are approaching it at 50 miles an hour. And they, they don't even see it when they're physically drunk. When a, when a man or woman is spiritually drunk, listen, they can be completely unaware of the reality that there's a spiritual war that is opposing them. The devil? You mean that little red guy with a, uh, with a pitchfork and a tail and the deviled ham commercials? <laughs> there's no devil? You must be kidding me. They're spiritually drunk. And if you're in that place this morning, you're you're too smart, you're too educated to believe in a devil, you're drunk. You're spiritually drunk. You might as well have had a fifth of vodka last night. Ephesians 6, verse 11 and and 12. It's a verse we have. Do we have that up there? Yes? No? There it is. Many of you are familiar with this verse. Ephesians 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Here's the key right here. We may not be able to see him, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Who is the devil? We learn from the book of Revelation, among other places, that he is a fallen angel. The Bible says that Lucifer, an angel, was not satisfied with what he was in the throne room of God, and he longed for an even greater place than God. That's kind of interesting to me. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that Adam and Eve, they wanted to be like God. That's how they were tempted. They wanted to be like God. Satan himself wanted to be above God, the Bible says. Look at this verse from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 14, this is actually God speaking to, to, to Satan himself How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, Jesus himself, he was a pretty sober guy. He didn't question the reality of Satan. Actually, he was quite acquainted with him. Look at this verse from the book of Luke. Jesus said to them, his disciples, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So at that point that Satan tried to exalt himself above God, he was immediately, speaking of casting, casting out of heaven. We talked about that word casting. 
You cast your anxieties on the Lord. Doesn't mean you go like this. It means you go like this. That's how Satan was cast out of heaven. He was cast um, out of heaven. Same word, actually. And so um, Peter says in verse 8 of, of, of 1 Peter chapter 5, Be sober. Don't be lulled into a spiritual state of drunkenness or numbness. The drinking can make people numb. We can be spiritually drunk. We can be spiritually numb. We can be so numbed up by whatever's going around us. Football. I like football. I'm like really into college football. I can do, this is, I don't know if I should be admitting this. I can sit and just study the, the football scores from the day before. Isn't that scary? I can just sit there and just go, oh, and just study them. And then pretty soon I'm like buzzed. I got a buzz. And and this is what we need to be careful of. Entertainment, whatever the internet is drawing us into, our work, relationships, whatever. We can become like spiritual zombies, spiritual drunks. And, And, you know, at which point we wouldn't recognize Satan as, as if he were staring us in the, fr- in the face. Oh, hi. Your name's Lucy? I'm <laughs> pleased to meet you. It's taking you guys a little, little, little time to, to get that one. <laughs> so we have a few members of our Brazil missions team who sobered up in a big way last uh, summer. And believe it or not, we, we're, we are going to have a report out on our July Brazil team. <laughs> we, we are in the next couple of months, God willing. But anyway, they witnessed in person a woman who was full on possessed by a demon. And like, these are normal people. Where's that guy, Dan? Is he Dan here? He's like this geeky white guy up there <laughs> who leads worship. He comes from a, a, a church background. Man, they didn't discuss the devil. Weird people do that. Well, let me tell you what he saw there. He's now sobered up in a big way. And it was really, it, this. I don't want to make too much light of this because it, it really is an awful, awful tragedy when someone is possessed by a demon. And, 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 and so... Uh, uh, Sober up, he says. All those Bible stories about demonic possession, real. Uh, and, and, and now, let me be very clear with you, having said all this, being sober does not mean being fearful. If you are following Jesus, you have no need to be fearful of the devil in the slightest, in the least bit. 1 John 4.4 says this. Many of you are familiar with this, but we do well to just be reminded of this. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That the context there is the spirit of the Antichrist or demonic influence. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then it says in uh, 1 John 5.18, I love this verse. He who has been born of God, that would be you, that would be you, keeps himself, meaning abides, you're abiding with Jesus, and the wicked one does not touch him. That's just a fact 
brothers and sisters. It's just a fact. He who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. If you're following Jesus, nothing to fear. If you're, if you're not, yeah, you, actually you do. You do have something to fear. But, but, but the point is, if you're following Jesus, listen, you serve God Almighty. You serve El Shaddai. Verse 6 says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He is mighty. We learn from the Bible that Satan's not permitted so much to lift a finger against anyone without the permission of God himself. Nevertheless, we need to be sober. You need to be sober. Sober in the sense that you're aware that he exists, but also sober in that you understand the way he operates at least two ways. I mentioned a few weeks ago, he really has only one tool. Actually, I think the Bible goes, says two. The first is he accuses. The Bible says in, in the book of Revelation, it says it, it actually gives him this name, the accuser of our brethren, who accuses them before our God day and night. He he accuses. So what does that mean? It means that Satan will come to you and say, you're a married man. And you just open up your heart to that other woman. You're a married woman and you got all silly with that dude. You're a Christian and you're talking all hateful and ugly about that guy? And you're a Christian? Peter says, be sober, be vigilant. What does that look like? Be sober, being vigilant. It looks like this. Number one, you say, you're right, devil. I did that. But the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. Number two, you go to Jesus. Lord, I came on to that guy. I did it. I flirted with that woman. Forgive me, Lord. I thank you that your word says, 1 John 1, 9, that when I confess my sin... You are faithful and just to forgive my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord, give me the grace to keep my eyes fixed on you. And then that's it. You move on. You forget about how the devil just messed with you. You leave your sin behind with that defeated devil. Jesus says, it says of Jesus this in 1 John as well. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of of the devil. Don't be carrying around confessed sin. Don't do it. Don't do it. God's not doing it. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, he remembers our sins no more. That means he's not putting it under our nose and asking you to sniff it. You know, your wife may do that to you, your husband, or your friend or whatever, or some other Christian. God never does that. Christians who follow Jesus don't do that either. And and, and so how does he operate? He accuses. Um, By the way, that word accuse, it's the word, it's it's the Greek word katarizo from from where we get the word category. And and, and so the other thing that he, he does is he, he lies. He, he puts our, our, our lives into to, to little categories, uh, something, by the way, that God never does. And, and he says, you know, this area of your life, 
this area of your life, you're a complete failure at. And, and it's got some truth in it, but the truth is that he uses is always, um, or, or often rather, has lies interwoven with it. Because in fact, you're having victory in this area, in, in, in this whatever area, and he's saying, no, no, you're a failure. You're, you're a failure in that area. Or, or the, 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 the lie is, how come God can't find you a job? It, it says he's God Almighty. You were just reading First uh, uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 6 this morning. The mighty hand of God, his hand's not ma- mighty. Uh, he, you still don't have a woman in your life. You still don't have a job. Uh, you still have a boss that treats you like garbage, uh, and he's not replaced. He, he hasn't healed you. Uh, why is there so much suffering in your life? Be sober. Be vigilant. What does that look like? How? You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and you cast those cares, that job, that boss, that sickness, that money, that, that, uh, your marital status. You, you cast that care upon the Lord. You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and his word which as we've learned says throughout the book of 1 Peter about suffering, you were called to this. It says that throughout 1 Peter. You were called to this. As a believer in Christ, you were called to this to to persevere and continue loving and, and doing good in the midst of suffering that people around you in your life will see the, the, the death, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus in action in your life. The people in your life need Jesus. As Satan's lying to you, just remembering the truth and humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God. Really interesting how this, he brings up the subject, Peter does, of Satan in the context that he's bringing up Humble yourself. It's interesting how we hear this verse quite a bit. Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. But rarely are we thinking about it in its context. Its its context, the verse is just immediately before it. He's talking about humbling. Now, what are we supposed to take from that? Man, again, it's so important as you're reading the word. Slow down. Lord, what am I supposed to take from this? Well, who's writing this? Peter. I think there's in all likelihood, Peter's thinking here about the Last Supper with Jesus, the 12 apostles are celebrating the Passover with Jesus. He's given them the cup. He's given them the bread. It was the, uh, the, the, it was the first communion. What does Peter say? Jesus starts talking about how 
He's going to be arrested. He's going to be taken away. And Jesus says, you know, when I'm taken away, you guys are going to bolt. You're going to scatter. What does he say? He says in Matthew, he says, though all others fall away, I will not. Just pounding on his chest. And then Jesus says to him in the book of Luke, it says, it says at that point, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, that's Peter's birth name. Indeed, Satan has asked for you to sift you as wheat. Anyone remember what he says? He says, no way, Lord. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus responds, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you even know me. What does he do? He falls flat on his face. Why? Oh, because he just had exalted himself. He hadn't humbled himself. He didn't recognize his own weakness. There was a lack of humility. When there's a lack of humility in your life, when pride comes in, you're just road-killing waiting for the devil. And and it's just so easy. We are so susceptible to pride. (laughs) And, 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 And... it is just such a daily battle. I mean, I'm telling you. I just want to just be open and transparent with you. I can be sitting in a counseling session. And I'll be leaving the counseling session going, Oh man, I should get a trophy for the way I rightly divided the Word of God in that counseling session. <laughs> Those people were so blessed. I mean, I should be on the cover of Counseling Monthly. Steve, Pastor Steve, expert counselor, holding my trophy. I mean, and I'm serious. These thoughts do come into my mind. Now, the important thing, we've already discussed what what we need to do when those thoughts come into our, our mind. We just need to expose that darkness to the light. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Remember the cross. Cross will make you shudder. Because your pride put him on the cross. My pride, those, those kind of, dwelling on those kind of things, put Jesus on the cross. And then we just need to walk, Lord, forgive me for that, replace that thought. I tell God, Lord, replace that thought several times a day, sometimes more. Replace that thought, Lord. And just walk on, forget about it. Don't dwell on the stupidity of, of, of what you just dwelled on. Just walk on. That's what you do. But, but, but here, he says, be sober. If there's one thing that pride does, it makes, turns you into a spiritual drunk. You're thinking you are someone you are not. And these people are in a time of suffering. They're in a, a time of suffering. When you're in a time of suffering, you are particularly, you are particularly um, in danger of attack from the enemy, susceptible and it's interesting, even a time of suffering, how pride can come in. 
You see, just because you're in a time of suffering, do not think that pride cannot come in. And be careful. Be sober. Be vigilant. And yes, it says, seeking whom he may devour. Satan will devour you if you're not watchful, if you're not sober. Resist him, verse 9. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I can't tell you how often I talk with someone and they think they're the only one in the world that has done and thought the things that they have. And I just have to chuckle. It's a dangerous place to be when you think you're the only one. Satan wants to isolate. And that's one of his lies. You're the only one who thinks those things. You're the only one who struggles with pornography. You're the only one who has this issue with with drugs. You're the only one who's a workaholic. No, there's Christians all over the world that are buying into those idolatries. All of us have been in them. But he says, verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith. What does that mean to be steadfast in the faith? Just go back to the word of God. No, that's a lie. This is the truth. Verse 10. And, but may, and most translations do not have that, that verse, but may. It's, it's really more correctly translated. And the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Now this is the, the most important thing. Followers of Jesus don't spend most of their time thinking about the devil. You're supposed to spend all your time thinking about the Lord. Notice how Peter just comes right back. Let's not go crazy and have a 20-point sermon on the devil. No, no, no he's not, he's not, he doesn't do that. He goes right back. He says, but the God of all grace. But the God of all grace, but the God of all grace. What is grace? It's getting what we don't deserve. He's given us so much that we don't deserve, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. It's through Jesus that we experience the eternal glory. He will perfect, he'll establish, he'll strengthen, settle you to him be the glory, verse 11, and the dominion. Dominion means control forever and ever. Best preventive medicine or protection against the demonic world, worship. Verse 11, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Then he signs off, verse 12 by Silvanus, actually that Silas with whom some of you are familiar with, he traveled uh, at one point with, with Paul, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, oh wow, a brief letter, 
tell you what, I wonder what his long letters were like. I'd love to see one, but uh, uh, he says, I've written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. In which you stand. Now, I am told that... uh, a better way of translating this uh, is, is this right here. This is the NIV. Some of you are reading your NIVs. This is what you'll read. This is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Now, I've been told that an even an additional subtlety to this verse could be, this is the true grace of God. Now, stand fast in it. You've heard all this, now stand fast in the grace of God. Stand fast in it. So listen, to close out, I want to go back to where we started a few months ago. Turn to chapter 1. What does that mean, stand fast in the grace of God? This is your homework assignment for, for next week. I want you to pray throughout the week, Lord, What does that mean for my life? What does it mean to stand fast in the grace of God? I'd I'd like you to do that, but let me give you just a taste. We started off with it. Verse, uh, uh, verse, the end of verse 2 says this. It says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Note that he begins with grace and ends with grace. Second Peter he begins with grace, and he ends with grace. He starts this, this letter with grace, and oh, do we need it. We're all failures at the law. We're all failures at trying to, to earn favor with the Lord. We're, we're all failures of that. It's in our DNA. We're sinners. We need grace. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. And then he says this, and this is what we began with. When we started Peter. And this is, this, is, this is a taste of what he means by stand fast in this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who according to his abundant mercy. Has begotten us. Has born again us. Has given us new birth. Into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Into an inheritance, which by the way, you get the second. You, know, you don't have to wait to heaven to get, the, uh, to, 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 to get this inheritance. Oh, the fullness of it will be then. But you start experiencing it the very instant you ask Jesus to take over the throne room of your heart. Into an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled. I like what the NIV says there. I prefer what the NIV says there. It says, into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Now, this inheritance is, when, when an, inheritance, an inheritance is reserved in heaven for you, that means it's guarded in heaven 
for you. And, and what does that mean when, when Jesus is your, is your guard? That means there ain't no one that's going to inherit, steal it away. We should not be walking around questioning whether we are going to be in heaven someday, whether our salvation is secure. 1 John chapter 5 says, these things have I written unto you that you may know, not that you may doubt, that you may know that you have eternal life. God doesn't want his children to go around doubting whether they have eternal life. I don't want my kids running around doubting whether or not I'm their father. How much more a heavenly father. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, He has begotten us. And I said this a few months ago, I'll say it again. It makes absolutely no sense to me how if a child is born, it's brought out of his mother's womb, you can unborn that child. It's impossible. Same thing with the salvation. Salvation is so secure, it's reserved in heaven for you. Once you are born again, you cannot be unborn. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus says. In John chapter 6, he says that everyone the Father gives me for salvation, not a single one will escape out of my hand. And then at the end of the letter, first Peter says, stand fast in that grace. Stand fast in it. Yeah, your suffering has caused you to stumble and doubt in many ways, but just go back to that grace, the cross. It was God who died for you. It was Jesus who died for you. Stand fast in the grace. And, and, you know, he's doing this as a shepherd here. He's a shepherd of the sheep, this guy Peter. He's saying, stand fast in it now. You know, tragically, well, let me start with this. I, I've been walking with the Lord now for 26, 27 years, and I praise God because many whom I started with are still walking strong with Jesus and they have not stopped growing. I'm talking many, not some. But tragically, many more have not. They're, you know, year one, year three, year five, year ten, something that they really coveted in their life was threatened and they decided to go cold. And I can't, I can't continue on. I just need this thing too much. And if you're in that place this morning, where man, there's just something that you're coveting in your life that you now see threatened. I don't know, financial security? Again, may involve a, a relationship or the lack of one. It may involve just you're in a season of life that you're bored or whatever. You need to repent before the Lord and humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. You just need to be broken up before the Lord. Lord, I'm sorry. I want to stand fast 
now. I want to do that, Lord. And look, I don't want to paint this picture that the life with Christ is sort of this grim, we've used the Lord sober, but don't, don't misunderstand me, you know, stern life of obedience. That is, that's another lie from the devil. It is a great adventure. Jesus said, I came to give, not only give you life, but give it to the full. I lived the craziest adventure-filled life of anyone I know, and I love it. And, 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 and Peter said, stand fast in the grace of God. They, the worship team closed out the, the worship set with, or maybe it was in the middle of the worship set, it is well with my soul. Stand fast in it. What a blessing. I can go to bed. I go to bed at night knowing that all is well with my soul. What does that mean? I go to bed and I'm at peace with God. God is for me. It may not be so with man. It, the whole world may be against me. But I know that God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? All is well with my, my soul. I'm telling you, I would not exchange the, the knowledge that all is well with my soul for all the riches in the world. It's not this life of grim obedience. It's an abundant life. The Romans chapter 14, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Stand fast, he says, in the grace of God. Verse 13, she was in Babylon. That's a code word for Rome, meaning the people who are with them. The elect together with you greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. We're all going to practice this after the service today. <laughs> Greet one another and get you ready for our missions trip to Argentina or Peru. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Okay, the end of First Peter. Anyone want to take a guess where we're going next week? Second Peter, you're right. Uh, so, but it, your homework this week, God, how do I stand fast in the grace of God? Why don't you... Uh, stand, and the worship team is going to come up. You know, um, we were talking, actually, if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time as well. If you've been asked to pray, please, please come up now. So we were just talking about standing fast in the grace of God. And some of you came in here this morning wobbling. And if that's you, you're in good company because I have come into this place from time to time wobbling. That's why we come here. That's why the Bible says for us to get together so that we can be just ministered to by each other. And so we have some folks 
Do we have some folks up here praying? Pastor Scott? <laughs> we will, eventually, during, this, uh, during the worship time. As the worship team begins, if you feel like you're wobbling and you would like just prayer, just prayer for the grace of God. Jesus also says that if, if we want, we can ask for the Holy Spirit whenever we want. The Bible says that um, if you fathers and your, your son or child asked you for, for bread, would you give them a rock? If you asked for an egg, would you give them a, a scorpion or a snake? Of course you wouldn't. Then he said, if you being evil wouldn't do that, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? That's a wonderful way to go from wobbling to standing fast. If you don't feel like you're standing fast, please, please come up and have, have a brother or sister pray for you. If you have never in your life given Jesus that place on the throne where he's the king I went to church for on, on and off for 24 years and before I made him my king, the king of my heart I didn't understand, I thought I thought God was about checking off boxes going to church saying a prayer from time to time reading the Bible, didn't realize it was a relationship. If you've never entered into a relationship with the Lord, the Bible says he's knocking at the door of your heart. He wants to come in, and it says, and dine with you. That means he wants to have that rich fellowship with you. If you've never done that, there'll be folks up here uh, during the worship time. So let me pray, and, and come up if you'd like to pray after not just worship the Lord with a closing worship song. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name for this wonderful word of, of grace. We thank you, Lord. I just pray for this, this, this gathering of brothers and sisters here, Lord. Give them the grace humble themselves under your mighty hand. Give them the grace not to run away from this place that you have them in. Maybe a place of suffering. Maybe a place of, of blessing even. Just humbling themselves under the mighty hand of God. Lord, I just pray that you sober us up. You teach us how to be vigilant. And Lord, I we take comfort in, in your word, Lord, that as we resist the enemy of our souls, as, as we resist just whatever, the flesh, the world, whatever it is, Lord, it says, your word says, you, the God of all grace, will perfect, complete, establish, strengthen, and settle, Lord. I pray that we would walk out, Lord, the grace to believe that. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name.